This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Okay, so for those who possibly don't know me, my name is Dani Greef. Um, I'm from Wolfish Bay. Um, some news, I recently got engaged. This is my beautiful fiance. <laughs> My two brothers sitting here in the front. <laughs> um, so this morning, it's echoing a bit. Should it echo like that? Okay. Is it fine now? Okay. Cool. Okay, so that's just a bit about me. And I just really want to say it is a crazy, crazy, crazy honor to be able to stand here this morning before all of you. To be able to speak about the gospel and to share the gospel and to do it over Passover weekend. Um, yeah, it's a privilege that I never thought I would get so soon in my life. Um, and I just really want to say that I am, I, it's such a cliche word, I don't really like it when people always say it, I'm humbled, <laughs> but I am humbled this morning to stand here before you. Um, and I'm really excited to share with you what I experienced God lay on my heart for this morning. Um, and as I prayed, I just really trust that the gospel will not be a story to us. The death of Jesus Christ will not be just something that we hear, um, but it will be a truth that changes everything. That, yeah, I use the word wreck, but that's what I really like, the reckless, reckless love. Um, that the love of Christ and the death of Christ should wreck our lives. It should shake everything, that only that which comes from Christ will remain standing. Um, so yeah, I just really want to say that this morning is really an honor to be here. Um, and to start off, I just want to give some context and history surrounding Passover and Easter. Why is it called Easter? Where does the word Easter actually come from? And I'm not going to go into details, um, but I'm going to give some homework to everyone that is here to go and do some self-study. Um, because that's a question, like where do we read the word Easter in Scripture? Where does that word come from? It's not, I couldn't find it in the Bible. I looked for it. <laughs> I could not find the word Easter in Scripture. Um, so where does it come from? Why do we use the term Easter weekend? Who initiated it? Who changed it from Passover? Um, because there's a Jewish feast that was usually celebrated in the Jewish culture, which is called Passover. And we're going to read the Scripture surrounding that just now to see where that comes from. And where, where, did, the, where did the Easter bunny come from? <laughs> and the Easter eggs? <laughs> Why is that part of the weekend that's supposed to be about Jesus' death? Um, there are 51 other weekends in the year where you can hide away eggs for your children. Why do we do it over the weekend that's supposed to be about Jesus? <laughs> like, don't, I don't want you to not have you spoil your child and give them my Easter egg and Do it. But do, don't do it over the weekend that's supposed to be about Jesus. Um, so I really want to encourage the parents as well. Please go and do some research. Where does Easter come from? Um, and if you did your research and you feel still comfortable with doing an Easter, Easter egg hunt over the weekend of Passover, then that's on you. But please just go and do some research. Go and there's enough sources. There's a lot of information surrounding why the dates changed and why is Easter weekend over the weekend that it is and not the same, usually the same date as what Passover is celebrated. Because um, the Easter weekend date changes, where Passover is always a specific time in the year. Um, so there's a lot of documents around that. I'm not going to go into the history. 
but please go and do some research. I really stand here before you. Please do some research. <laughs> okay, and then next year, maybe you will celebrate it differently. Um, this morning, so there are different feasts that usually happen in the Jewish culture. So it was Passover, it was unleavened bread, and it was the Feast of First Fruits. Um, the Feast of First Fruits is more surrounding the resurrection of Jesus Christ because Jesus was the first fruit of God towards us. Um, but this morning, I'm going to focus on the Passover, um, which is the death of Jesus Christ. And that is also the Last Supper, um, where they had the Passover feast and they had the Last Supper and Jesus broke the bread and broke the, gave the wine and he said, do this, do this in remembrance of me. Um, so that's where that was initiated for us to celebrate today through Jesus Christ. So Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me and do it as often. So that's the history. Um, the topic for this morning is Jesus is calling. Um, I'll get into the topic later, just as the headline. Um, let's quickly read the scriptures um, in Exodus. That's just now to get that context of Passover and where it comes from and where was this in scripture. So it's Exodus 12. I did take out a few scriptures. I usually don't like it when people do that, but now I did it. Um, so I only did it for information purposes. I give you my word that it's not to take context away from the scripture. Um, it's really just verses that I just removed for time's sake. But you're free to read it. It does not take the context away from the whole scripture. I give you my word. Okay. So verse 5, it says, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Then verse 7, And they shall take, and they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the, on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Okay, then verse 12. Those are scriptures are just, verse 5 is to show you what the lamb, what characteristics the lamb had to add that was, had to be killed for the sacrifice. And verse 7 is to see what they did with the blood of the lamb. Okay, then verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all, of the, all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial. And you shall keep it as a feast of the Lord throughout your generations. And shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting audience. Ordinance. Let's go drink some water. So we see that a lamb had to be killed. Um, through the blood of that lamb being put on their doorposts, the destroyer passed over. So we see there are certain characteristics of that lamb. I think I did put it up. Yes, I did. So that lamb was without blemish. It was a male of the first year, the eldest son. So does that sound familiar? Does that lamb sound familiar to us in the gospel that we currently live in? Yes, it does. So we know that the whole scripture, the whole Bible is all about Jesus. If you are preaching a message and it's not pointing towards Jesus, you need to think back. If you are giving a doctrine towards someone else and telling them something that's not pointing towards Jesus, you need to step back. If you are living your life 
before God without involving God and Jesus in the gospel, you need to take a step back. Because the whole scripture, I wish I had my Bible now that I can show it. So all of the Bible is about Jesus Christ. From Genesis to Revelation, it's all about the Son and the Lamb that died and rose again for us. And that is why we live. That is what the gospel is all about and has always been. And we are in trouble when the gospel becomes a story. And that's why I specifically prayed it this morning, because we, we sometimes in our, in our culture and where we grow up, and we're so used to the gospel, we've heard it so many times. We know the story. We know what the next chapter is going to happen. We know what's going to happen tomorrow. We know, what, we know it. We've heard the stories. We've been in Kinderkerk. But does it still have the power? Does the gospel still shake us? Like, does the gospel still have the power in our lives that it's supposed to have? Like, we're like, yo, Jesus died. Do we still stand in awe of the cross? Like, yo, it's amazing. And, and that's the place where we need to be. And just as the lamb was killed, and through the blood of the lamb, the enemy passed over, that's the same with us. That when you give your life to Christ, his blood cleanses you, he washes you free, that when the enemy wants to come, he's going to pass over you and say, I cannot touch him or her because he's cleansed by the blood of the lamb. And that is where we live in. That the enemy cannot touch you when you're covered by the blood. And that's the same symbolic thing that we had in the Old Testament that's still in our lives today. That the enemy will come and the destroyer will try to come and kill, steal and destroy. And he cannot. Why? Because you're covered by the blood of the lamb. Amen. <laughs> and that's amazing. So Jesus Christ has always wanted to reconcile us back to God the Father. So you can put up the next slide. So Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the Passover lamb to all who allow his blood to cleanse them. So it's open, it's an open invitation to each and every one. That Jesus, when he cried out, and he said, it is finished. It is finished. He cried it out for all eternity to all those who accept it. So all of us can be cleansed. And all that we need to do is we need to accept it. We need to accept the blood. We need to live in it. We just need to say, yes, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for your blood. It's not complicated. You do not need to have it all together. And so God, God's heart was always to dwell among his people. Since Adam and Eve. God's heart was always to dwell among his people, to dwell among us, to dwell next to us, to be with us each and every moment. And then the fall of sin came. And then God sent Jesus. To what? To reinitiate that which Adam and Eve had through sending his Holy Spirit with us, dwelling with us each and every moment, being intimate with us. But, but what separates us? What causes us to, to be away? And it's missing the mark, which is sin. And then, sometime, and then Jesus comes and Jesus paid the price. But what do we do? We put guilt and shame and we're not worth it and we need to work our way back and we need to do this. And other people tell you you're not good enough and you need to do this. And then we remove ourselves back from God. Not because he shifted us away or pushed us away, but because we push away ourselves. And don't we do that sometimes to other people as well? We think that they need to prove themselves again before they can be with God or before they can be... Like, how can you speak about God if you did this yesterday? We do not know what happened between yesterday and this morning. 
Maybe they were with God last night and God did forgive them, but we don't see that. And then we judge them. So Jesus is always want, God the Father has always wanted to reconcile us back to himself. And he did that through Jesus Christ, sending his son, dying again, and then rising again, giving us the Holy Spirit. And he said, it'll be better for you when I go. Why? Because all of us will receive the Holy Spirit. And what does that mean? All of us can dwell with God daily. Daily, we can dwell with God each and every moment. There's not a moment you need to go through where you, get, where you are not with God. That's crazy. Like there's no moment in your ever where you will be separated from God. Never. He will be with you each and every moment forever and ever and ever and ever. So I read this other scripture recently. And we're going to read it now in Luke 5. And I saw something new from this scripture. And that's amazing. When you read scripture and you've read the scripture and you know the story um, and you've read it a couple of times and then just something else smacks you in your face. You're like, what? This is so cool. I've never seen this in the story. So I go to Luke 5, verse 17 to 26. Okay. So now it happened on a certain day, as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by, they had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the, tili, through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said to them, Man, your sins are forgiven you. Realize that that's the first thing that Jesus does when he sees him. He says, Man, your sins are forgiven you. Not rise up and walk, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up and walk? But that you may know the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, Take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he rose up before them, took up, took up what they had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. <laughs> so do you see that the first thing that Jesus was concerned about was saying, Your sins are forgiven. And I want each and every one to know that this morning, that God is most concerned about saying your sins are forgiven. Why? Because he knows that's going to reconcile you back to him. He knows that it's your sins that is keeping you away from him. Because we do it to ourselves. He knew that if that man just rises up and walks and he does not feel like he can come to God again, 
He's just going to separate himself. So the first thing that Jesus does is he says, right, your sins are forgiven. And then he yields him later. And look at the reason that he says why he yields him. But that you may know the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. That's the reason why he healed him. I'm sure God's heart was also pouring out for him because he's paralyzed and he wanted him to walk. But at that moment, he was more concerned about letting everyone know, listen, I can forgive sins. I am the Son of Man and I am the Son of God and I have the power to forgive sins on earth and wherever I am. And that's what he wanted us to know. That's why the story is included in the Bible. One of the reasons why the story is included in the Bible so that we can know that Jesus wants to forgive sins. We just need to go. And what's also beautiful from the story is sometimes, sometimes you will have people in your life that will know you need to go to the presence of God to get the forgiveness of sins that you need. But you're not going to want to go because you're going to be paralyzed by your guilt or your shame or your own reasoning or your past or your busyness or your sport or your idol or your attitude, your pride, whatever it may be. We paralyze ourselves. But then it's so important we are, that we are surrounded by the fellowship of believers. He will take us through the rooftop and say, you, I'm taking you to the presence of God right now. And I know that God is going to heal you. And I know that God is going to tell you that you're accepted. And that's so much power when we just sometimes we need to invite someone to church, invite them to a small group, invite them to somewhere where you know the presence of God is there. And allow God to heal them, allow God to forgive them. And that's our role. So it's two parts. One part is make sure you are surrounded by those believers. Because there's going to be a time in your life sometimes where you feel like you don't deserve to be with God. And then you need those believers to tell you, listen, that's not true. Come with. Come. We'll carry you. Just come with. Another time is you need to recognize when you need to carry someone else. And you need to be willing to carry them. Those four people did not need healing. But they knew God can heal. They knew God can forgive. And that's why they took him. So remember, it's a two-part. Either being surrounded or being the one that carries someone else. So I'm going to go into this next scripture. Wait, before I go into that scripture. So we need to, we need to know that God is constantly crying out towards us. Like God the Father is standing in heaven, constantly calling towards the children of God. And who is the children of God? It's everyone. It's an all-inclusive call of everyone that, that lives, that has breath in their lungs, is being called out towards God the Father each and every moment of every day. And that's you and me included. And what are the prerequisites, the requirements? None. It's just surrender. All we need to do is surrender and say, God, here I am. Here I am. Do with me as you wish. And we just need to stop limiting ourselves according to our own requirements. As I said, according to our own guilt, according to our own shame, according to our own standards. We set our own goals. We say, I want to spend time with God three hours of each morning for the next two months. 
and we put that on ourselves. And then we fail, and then what? We end up spending less time with God than we did the previous year or the previous month because we put those own stuff on ourselves and saying, God, here I am, lead me. Do with me as you wish. It's good to set targets and drive yourself. It's good, I'm not saying that's bad. But it becomes bad when, when you fail, you remove yourself. When you fail, you need to go back and say, God, I failed, and here I am again. Because that's what his heart is. This is one of my friends in South Africa. He always said, God is always in the best mood. <laughs> God is never in a bad mood. <laughs> and sometimes we come to God in this, in this way that we think like, he's, ah, God's not going to be as happy with me now because I failed. God is always in the best mood, no matter what you did. He's always full of love. His love does not change when we fail. His love does not get less. He's always open arms. He's always open towards us. All we need to go is, do is we need to go. Okay, so this next scripture that I want to read as well. It's one of my, it's probably currently my favorite. It's been my favorite scripture in the Bible, but I cannot say that because all scriptures are amazing. Um, so it's one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible um, for the past two years already. Um, to give some background, so it's the scripture that I'm going to read is Hebrews 12, verse 1 to 2. Um, some background, so Hebrews 11 um, speaks about the, we call it the whole of faith. So it's, the whole chapter is all about the great men of faith and men in the Bible that exist, that were in the Bible and walked, this, walked on earth, like, such as Isaac, Abraham, um, Joseph. So that's just the background because this Hebrews 12 starts with therefore. So if you hear the word therefore, you need to know that something actually happened before that. So what happened before the therefore is it speaks about all the great men of God. Then it says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking on to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, he for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. Yo, the scripture is crazy going to read it again therefore we also since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking on to jesus the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down on the right hand of the throne of God so you see that the scripture starts off and it says lay aside the weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us it does not say just lay aside those sin so what is that weight why does it say weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. See, sometimes there are things in our lives that are keeping us away from God that are not necessarily sin. 
such as that TV series, such as that sport, such as that hobby, such as that person that you want to speak to before you speak to God. These are weights in our lives, worries in our lives. When you become quiet before God and you try and be still, those things your mind keeps on running to the whole time before you get to focus on God, we need to lay those things aside. Laying them aside doesn't mean you forget about them forever. It's just saying, Jesus, I surrender this to you. This does not rule me. You rule me. And then the sin, as we said, the sin is what we've been saying the whole time, is that it's the sin that keeps us away from God because we put guilt and shame and everything upon ourselves. We know that Jesus Christ has the power to forgive sins. We all know that in this room. All of us know that Jesus has the power to forgive our sins. But why do we not come to him? It's because of us and sometimes because we believe what other people tell us. We know that he has the power. We just need to go. Okay, so now we come to him and we say, we're laying aside this weight and this sin. Now what's the next thing the scripture says? It says, run with endurance the race that is before us. Run with endurance. So there's a word there, endurance. We're not a, it's not a sprint. There's another scripture that speaks of the marathon, like we're a marathon runner keeping our eyes fixed on the pole of the, of the Venstriep. Okay, so we're, a mar- we're like marathon runners with endurance, not running a sprint race. See, sadly, I think we all know people who I've had encounters with God and we look at them today and now and we're like, yo, like I just didn't keep on. Maybe circumstances, maybe something happened and they just removed themselves from God and moved, removed themselves from the church and now they're maybe not living as lives as they were and we trust God that they will still return back. But that's why it says run with endurance the race that is before us. We need to keep on going. We need to keep on keeping on. This is an endurance race. Looking on to, we're going to go to the next one where we look on to Jesus. And when's this endurance race going to end? When we're in heaven one day. When we receive our crown of glory. One day we're going to receive a crown of glory. And we're going to be with Jesus and God in heaven. And that's what we're looking on to. That's where we're going to be one day. So we need to run with endurance the race that is before us. So endurance, we need to have endurance. So look onto Jesus. So how do we keep on running with endurance? How is it possible to keep on going when everything around you, is, around you is falling? When all your plans you had for your life is not working out? When people betray you? When you are the good guy and all the bad guys are tumbling over you, whatever it may be. How do you keep on going? How do you keep on running with endurance? Looking onto Jesus. Looking onto Jesus, no matter what happens. Keeping your eyes set on Him. No matter what people are saying, no matter what is happening, no matter what's going on, you're just looking onto Jesus. You're looking before you. You're looking onto Him. I don't care what's going to happen. I don't care what people say. I don't care if this doesn't make sense to this world. I don't care if they say this is wrong. I don't care if I'm going to be alone. I will look onto Jesus. Like there's currently this sports guy who's currently very standing up for his faith and 
That guy is looking on to Jesus. He, he doesn't care about his career. He doesn't care if his career is going to fall away. He's looking on to Jesus. Knowing that Jesus is the author and the finisher of my faith. The work that Jesus started in my life is the work that is going to end in my life. He's not going to leave me. We need to look onto him in the midst of financial crisis, in the midst of work, in the midst of whatever it may be. We look onto Jesus saying, God, I know you are with me. I know that you started this work in me. I know that you are here with me now. I know that you know what I'm going through. I know that you know where I am. I know that you hear my prayer. I know that you know how scared I am. I will look onto you. I look onto you. And that's how we run with endurance because it's much it's much less tired to keep on looking before you. You're going to get tired when you keep on looking around at each and every distraction that comes around your way. And you can be like, oh, it's so tough to be a Christian. So moeilijk, man. Swaar. When people say that, I get the... It's not difficult to be a Christian. We need to look onto Jesus. He's the author and finisher of our faith. Jesus has overcome death. He's overcome. He did everything so that we do not need to do it. All we need to do is look to him and surrender. That's all we need to do. So he's the author and the finisher of our faith. And we just need to look onto him. And then he says, For the joy before him, he endured the cross. Oh, that scripture. That's actually what drew me to the scripture. I, I had this saying in my head. Like I remembered this somewhere in the Bible. It stands for the joy set before me and do the cross. And I didn't know where it stood. So I went and I searched and I asked a couple of people, listen, where does this stand in the Bible? And that's how I actually came upon the scripture. And from that moment, the scripture is, oh, just, it ruins me. <laughs> so for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So if you have to think about it, if you're in a, on a cross, hanging, being cursed at, being beaten, being laughed at. If you are the son of man, why don't you get off? They're mocking him. Being mocked at, knowing that if he said a word, all of heaven was ready to remove him from the cross. All power of heaven was with him. If he said a word, he would have been removed. He knew that he had the power to remove himself from the cross. But he didn't. Why? Because for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He endured the cross. He went through that for the joy before him. What joy? Us. That joy was us. Looking upon the people, saying, God, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. With that joy set before him, he endured it. Like you can just imagine putting yourself in a place. I'm trying to think of an example now. Say there's a table on my foot. A table is standing on my foot, pressing in towards my toe. It's quite heavy, but I know I have the power to take it off. But it's very sharp. It's very sharp, pressing in. And the pain just gets more and more and more as it just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And people are laughing at me saying, Donnie, why don't you take it off? Why don't you take that table off your toe? Take it off. You do. You can. And I say, no. 
I'm not going to. Because then I know my brother and my sister, they don't have to take this pain. If I take this pain now, I take it for them and they don't have to. It's crazy what Jesus did for us. And it says in the next one, despising the shame. So what does that mean, despising the shame? So Jesus took all shame upon himself so that we do not need to be ashamed. He took everything, all shame, he took upon himself, having the mockery and the laughing so that we do not need to be ashamed. We do not need to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Never, ever, ever will we be ashamed about the gospel because Jesus took all shame upon himself. Saying, Jesus, you did it. Here I am. Here I am. Use me, Father. Use me as your will is. And you never have to be ashamed of nothing. There's another scripture that says, when pride comes, then comes shame, but with the humble is wisdom. So when we are prideful, and our boasting is not on the cross, then there's a gap for shame to come into our lives. Why? Because we are boasting upon ourselves. Because we are boasting on, on our own abilities and our own capabilities and our own things and our own things that we can do. So when we fail, then there's an opportunity for shame. Why? Because we did not match what we proclaimed to be. But when our boasting is all upon Jesus and he's our only boast and our only hope, there is no gap for shame anyway because we are lying humbly before him saying Jesus you are my hope when I'm weak you are strong there is no you can ne- like shame will never enter, your, enter into your life ever again and then the scripture ends off saying and I sat down on the right hand of the throne of God so where is Jesus right now? Right now, as we are here, sitting on the right hand of the throne of God. Yeah. He's sitting right there, saying, these are my children. They're speaking about me. They're sharing my word. Interceding for us daily. Loving us saying, I paid the price for them. There's another one calling out my name. There's another one praying towards me. There's someone sharing my gospel. There's someone praying in my name. Sitting on the right hand of the throne of God. That's where Jesus is. It's amazing. Overcoming this world. Like Jesus has overcome this world. We do not need to be dismayed. There's nothing in this world that you can face that Jesus has not given you the power to overcome. Nothing. Everything that can come before you through Jesus, you can overcome it. And I'm not saying circumstances are going to supernaturally change. Sometimes it will, but not always. Sometimes what's going to change is your inside is going to supernaturally change. And something that used to bother you and something that used to be very bad, you're going to see maybe as, a, as, a, as an area to evangelize. I just sense that there's a word for someone. I feel like that's a word for someone. You're currently in a place where you feel like I need to run away and this is not from God and this is not where I need to be. 
And I just experienced God saying that he wants you actually to share the gospel in that place where you are. And he has placed you there to share the light. Okay, so if that is you, please take it. Um, so we know that Jesus endured the cross. He's sitting on the right hand of the throne of God. And let's just read the scripture in John, the next one. It's on his crucifixion, and he says, So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. So the Greek word is tetelestai. Tetelestai. It is finished. What is finished? What? The power of darkness, the power of the enemy, the power of the destroyer. It is finished. I have overcome. I have overcome this world. Death will not have power anymore. Because he knew he's going to rise up. So Jesus, the lamb without blemish, the only son, so he's the eldest and he's a male, took the price for each and every one of us. The lamb without blemish took the price so that we can be without blemish before God. So that when we accept his blood and we accept what he did for us, we can stand before God boldly. We can stand before him in righteousness. Not because we've got it all together. Not because we're perfect people. Not because we've spent 10 hours of fasting. But just because the lamb without blemish makes us unblemished before God. When God sees us through the lamb. And that's what we need to know. Because when we know who we are in God, we're not going to fall to all these things of this world. We're not, yeah, this is stupid examples, but we're not going to fall to social trends. We're not going to fall to whatever, what people say, what people want, what people expect of us. When people challenge your faith, when people challenge who you are, when people challenge your convictions, we are not going to fall. Why? Because we never boasted on those things in the first place. We know that our identity is not find in, found in that. We know that our name is not found in that. We know that we are not connected to this whatsoever. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. So that does not mean we need to separate ourselves and say we are the church and we are here on our own and we're not going to be infiltrated by the world, but we are saying we are the church and we are going to go into this world and we are going to make the world more like God wanted it to be. So that when the world comes with an opinion, for example, let's have Easter egg hunts over weekend of Passover, we're saying no, that's not what scripture says. I will not change my conviction. I will not change my opinion. Because that's not what I see in scripture. So I can say that about anything. Where is it in scripture? We must not allow the world to infiltrate our views and our convictions and our everything. Like one thing that Suzette Hutting also says a lot, that's now those prayer sessions that we are watching. He says, you do not need to prove that you are spiritual. When you are in identity and, and relationship with God, 
You do not need to prove anything. There's nothing you need to prove. You see, the less honor you receive from men, the more honor you are going to receive from God. You see, when we seek the honor of men, who are we trying to please? We're trying to please people. We are not here to please people. We are here to please God. And when our eyes are set on Him and we are looking onto Jesus with endurance, running the race that is set before us, we are not going to fall onto all these other things. So we just need to look upon Jesus. And I want each and every person to know that this morning Jesus is crying out as He cried out on the cross and He says, It is finished with whatever you are currently struggling with. He's saying, it is finished. Just come to me. Just come to me. It is finished with your identity problems. It is finished with being lonely. It is finished, finished being full of guilt. It is finished being full of shame. It is finished with struggling to find joy at your workplace. It is finished. Just come to me. Find me in your circumstances. I am there with you. Just see me. Allow me to show me where I am with you. And he's crying out as he cried out on the cross saying, it is finished. Just believe it. Just allow me to be with you. Give me the time. Give me the attention. Like that song that says, we're running into his arms. That's all we need to do is run into his arms. He's just there waiting. Dave, you can get the children. So we're going to take communion this morning. And yeah, as we know, for anyone that, I'll just repeat it, we've said it before. So communion, we know that as we take the grape juice, we're taking it as remembrance of Jesus that died and his blood that flew, flow for us. Um, so that is, as we are saying, that it's the blood that cleanses us from our sins, that we can come into righteous standing with God. So while you're taking it, know that Jesus is cleansing you. He has cleansed you already and you can come towards Him. You can be with Him. And the bread, if you take the bread, you can know that Jesus, His body was broken so that you do not need to have shame, so that you do not need to have pain, so that you do not need to have worry, but so that you can be with Him. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.